Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 17. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. John chapter 17 is known as the greatest chapter in the Bible. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. Luke 11, Matthew 6, we find the model prayer. You know the model prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's not the Lord's Prayer, that's the model prayer. The Lord's Prayer is found right here in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is known as the Holy of Holies in the Temple of Scripture. John 17 is 26 verses of Jesus talking to his Father. And this conversation is not recorded any other place in the New Testament. John 17, the veil is pulled back and we are led into the Holy of Holies, the inner court, the secret place of the Most High God. A few weeks ago, I gave you a three-point outline in John 17. Preachers, pastors, teachers, this is a freebie. Number one, Jesus prays for for himself. We'll find that in verses one through five. Jesus prays for himself. And then secondly, in our outline, Jesus prays for the disciples. You'll find that in verses 6 through 19. We've covered both of these. You might pick them up in the bookstore or order a copy if you are interested. And then finally, John chapter 17, Jesus prays for all believers, the church, in verses 20 through 26. And so far, again, we've covered the first two points. This morning, we come to the final seven verses in the Lord's Prayer. To the Father, as Jesus prays for all believers in verses 20 through 26. I've titled this sermon, The Best Prayer Ever, Part 3. John chapter 17, saints, we pick up in verse 20. If you're looking at verse 20, I need you to say, I'm looking at it. I do not pray for these alone, Jesus said, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through their, the disciples' word that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, And that the world may know that you you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father. The world has not known you, but I've known you. And these have known you, sent me. And I have declared to them your name and you will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. 
Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. This is the last time you'll hear me say this. John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are five chapters crammed into one night. John is an old man and has a keen and sharp memory. So John gives us details about this night that no other gospel writer gives us. John opens this chapter, verse 1. Look at verse 1 of 17. He opens the chapter with Jesus spoke these words as he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And remember, were you with me? We talked about prayer isn't a monologue, it's a dialogue. Did you pick that up? Prayer isn't a monologue, it's a dialogue. You talk to God and God talks to you. We talked about it last time. When you pray, the position of your body doesn't matter as much as the position of your heart. And the reason we talked about that, because so many people make a big thing about the position of the heart because Jesus lifted up his eyes. And so we ought to all lift up our eyes. God doesn't care that we lift up our eyes or that we close our eyes. He doesn't care about the position of our body. He cares more about the position of our hearts. We talked about that. Well, a final point outlined in John 17. We come in for a landing on this chapter, and I hope that you learned something. Jesus prays for all believers. Now, remember, in just a, about 14 hours, Jesus is going to hang on the cross. His hour has come. The Father is going to watch his son suffer on the cross. And listen, this son is no ordinary son. This is the beloved son. This is no ordinary son. This son who is more loved by the Father than any other son ever. This son is more loved by the father than any other son ever. If you have a son, you know what that means. You know what that feels like. There's like a special something, unity with a father and a son. And don't get me wrong. I'm not hating on the ladies. I think there's something there too about the fathers and the ladies and the daughters. And that's real special too, right? But isn't there something really special about a father and his son? This son is more loved by the father than any other son ever. This is a father who is listening to the son as he prays for you and he prays for me. And his prayer, listen, sweeps into the future beyond the disciples. And he prays for all ages, in all countries, in all cultures. He prays for believers of all history to come. Look at verse 20. Jesus said, Father... I do not pray for these alone, talking about the 11 disciples, but for those who believe in me through their word. Now, Bible students, if you're taking notes, this is the third negative in this prayer. What do I mean? Well, this is the third time that Jesus says in this prayer, I do not pray for. Can you keep up with me? Look at verse 9. I do not pray for the world. In other words, Jesus says, I'm not interceding or acting as high priest for the unsaved, unregenerate world. Look at verse 15. Jesus said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. In other words, Jesus says, Father, leave the Christians in the world. In verse 15. And were you with me last time? Jesus prayed, Father, leave the Christians in the world. Don't take them out of the world. And I'm like, why not? Amen. I'm ready to go. I'm going to break it down for you. I'm ready to go. Have y'all noticed the world is bananas? 
Right now, I think more than any other time that I can remember in history, the world is bananas. And I know the Lord's coming back. When the Bible says, I'm waiting while you clap your hands like you mean it, will you do that? When the Bible says that in the last days there are going to be diseases and pestilences on the earth which man will have no cure for. They will have no idea what's going on. That is a sign of the end times. And if you don't understand that, you need to get your head out of the sand and wake up Charlie. Or whatever your name is. Jesus said, Lord, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. Leave the Christians in the world. And while they're in the world, deliver them from the evil one. Christians need to be in the world, I understand, to preach the gospel and advance the kingdom. Somebody say amen. amen. Romans 10, 14. How shall they hear unless there be a preacher? It's in our text, in this third negative, here in our text. I do not pray for these alone. In other words, I'm not only praying for the disciples, but for all those who will believe in me through their, the disciples' word, that they would speak or that they would write. Peter's going to write two epistles, you know, first and second Peter. John writes three, first, second, and third John, the book of Revelation and the gospel of John. That's actually five. So Jesus says, I'm praying for those who are going to believe on Jesus through the word, whether they speak or write. And think about this, saints, another proof of deity. Jesus scans, listen, this is deep. Jesus scans the centuries from that moment through redemptive history, and he sets his all-seeing, all-sovereign eye on all true believers through all the centuries to come, almost as if he already knows who's going to be saved and whose names are written in the book of life, and he sees they belong to God. And so Jesus prays for them, even though most of them have not yet lived. Isn't that awesome? He's, he's paying and pray, paying for their sin and praying for them in advance and most of them have not yet lived. It's almost like he's paying like for our sin, put, uh, putting his blood on layaway. So later when you need it, you can get it out. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Some of y'all don't know about layaway. That's why y'all look at me like I'm crazy. Layaway? What's layaway? I'm not going to even tell you. That's why. I'm, I'm just not going to even tell you. Jesus is praying, just uh, Jesus is praying for them. Now listen, in verse 20 through 26, listen, you might read this and go, man, that's hard to understand. I and them and you and me and they and me and you and them and us and them and we and we, thee and thee. Jesus, listen, is praying two things. You got your pen? I want you to write this down. Jesus is praying for two things. Two things are on his mind. Number one, unity. The prayer is very simple. Number one, he's praying for unity. Number two, Jesus is praying for our personal presence with him. Two things Jesus is praying in verse 20 through 26 that are on his mind. Unity and our personal presence with him. First of all, he's praying for unity, saints. Watch this. Not uniformity. Unity, 
not uniformity. Look at verse 21. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be, what? Somebody, y'all come help me. May be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, Jesus is specifically praying for unity and oneness. For the Christians, as they live in an ungodly and unholy world, remember again in verse 15, Jesus said, Father, don't take them out of the world. Jesus is praying, Father, may the Christians collectively be one and may the Christians have one total testimony so that the world may believe and see that I really came from you. May the world see unity in the church. Listen, look at me. God loves unity. God loves unity. Ephesians 4, 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Psalm 131, 1, memory verse. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren and sisterin to dwell together in what, saints? Unity. God loves unity and God loves love among the brethren. God loves unity and God loves love among the brethren. God wants us to love one another. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us, let brotherly love continue. Love in the Greek here, and this word love is phileo. We have the word Philadelphia. The writer says, let Philadelphia continue. Amen. I'm from, I'm from Philly. Where are my Philly people at? Where are my Philly people at? Raise your hand nice and high so I can see. One, two, three, four, five, me six, seven. Amen. Let Philly continue. We're outnumbered, but we got, we could take them. We could take them. Let Philly continue. Hallelujah. Let cheesesteaks continue. That's the word of God. Y'all need to read your Bible. <laughs> Jesus said in John 13, 35, Jesus said the world is going to know that you are Christians by your what, saints? Love or Philadelphia, one for another. Jesus wants a loving, unified, united church. Unity, again, does not mean uniformity. Then you ask me, what's the difference, pastor? Well, listen, unity means the people remain individuals and unique in the body of Christ, but they're united in thought and purpose. And Jesus is the common denominator. That's unity. Uniformity means everybody looks alike, thinks alike, dresses alike, agrees alike on everything, and there's no uniqueness and individuality. In other words, you become a clone or a facsimile of some organization or group. That's uniformity. And that, my friend, is religion. Religion and legalism creates uniformity. Let me say that again. Religion and legalism creates uniformity. Religion and legalism insist you act a certain way. Religion and legalism insist you wear a certain thing or you comb your hair a certain way. Well, I'd have a problem with that, okay? But you comb your hair a certain way or you quote certain creeds or you have the same belief about everything alike. That's not unity. That's uniformity or conformity held together by force. And that's legalism, which leads to bondage. I personally, listen, 
I personally can spot uniformity or conformity. Give me five minutes with an individual. Five minutes, I can spot uniformity. It's pretty much, they tell you, you talk to a person, give me five minutes, and I can tell you what denomination that person belongs to. I can tell you, give me five minutes, I can tell you what theological persuasion they ascribe to. I can tell you their musical taste or, you know, maybe they're a little more liturgical in their music. They like kind of high church and organs or maybe they're, you know, a little bit more like us, praise and worship. Or maybe they they like more like the black gospel kind of praise and worship. Or maybe they love the choir. They want the choir, so they come, where's the choir? Y'all don't have a choir here? Where's a choir? Every now and then we have a choir, but some people, you can tell that. I can look at their hair and the way it's combed and the clothes that they're wearing and the language they're parroting. And they have a cookie cutter behavior. And you don't hear that. You don't learn that from the Bible. That's taught by man. And that is forced unity, which is actually forced uniformity. And listen to this. The only way for you to get uniformity is for it to be forced. And don't get me wrong. Uniformity is not bad. I'm not making the point that uniformity is bad. In the military, you need uniformity. Military, you've been in the military? You know, uniformity is critical in the police department, in the fire department, in various organizations. Uniformity is important. But I will tell you this, uniformity, and here's the point that I'm making and the point that Jesus is making, uniformity has no place among the people of God has no place among the body of believers, not uniformity. He's praying for unity, that we might be unified. Let somebody clap your hands and say amen. (laughs) Unity. Unity is different. Unity is enforced. Unity means people can be who they are in Christ. They can live the way that God wired them. They live the way that God made them. At the same time, they agreed to put their spiritual arms around a church culture or vision, a doctrine, a philosophy, and there's still diversity. God wants unity in the midst of diversity. And this is what Jesus is praying for. Unity in the midst of diversity. And that's what we have here at Calvary Chapel. We have unity in the midst of diversity. Look around. That person sitting next to you, to your left or to your right, they're not like you. We don't all look alike. Calvary Chapel is a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-personality group of people. And we don't all think alike. We don't all have the same personalities, and we don't all have the same background, and we don't all make the same amount of money. We don't all dress alike and talk alike and think alike and dance in the spirit alike. Hmm. And y'all know, Lord, I want to talk about that so bad. Don't get me wrong. I, I have no problem with, and for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, people of the Pentecostal, you know, ascribe to, you know, the Pentecostal denomination, they dance in the spirit. They dance in the spirit. A church I came from, they danced in the spirit. I don't have a problem with dancing in the spirit. I really don't. If you dance in the spirit, praise the Lord, dance in the spirit, but dance in the spirit at home. (laughs) Say amen. 
because that's not what we do here. And if you start dancing in the spirit, then you're going to get 400 people looking at you. And that's a distraction. That's not order. That's not the Lord. So I'm not against dancing in the spirit, all things done, decent and what, saints? In order. People who are used to uniformity, they, they come and talk to me all the time. They come up and they say, Pastor Rodney, uh, you know, I'm new to the church and I was just wondering, you know, uh, what, you know, what's the church position on this and what's the church position on that and about, you know, do, are we, do we need to wear suits and uh, is there church membership? That's a really big one. Is there church membership? I'll tell you, no, there is no church membership. Uh, if you're not a member of the body of Christ and you're not a believer, you couldn't join if you wanted to. Let's move on. Is there, uh, well, what about this? What about that? Well, uh, can, can women wear makeup? Um, you know, uh, if, if I wear red lipstick, am I going to hell? Do you know that I'm not making, y'all tell, tell me I'm making this up. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? They will, churches will tell you if you wear red lipstick, you're going to hell. If you wear red fingernail polish, you a Jezebel. Am I making this up? No. And I know what, what they're really asking me is they're asking me, Pastor Rodney, what is the, what is the uniform around here? I mean, can, they, they want to know, can I conform to this environment? That's what they really want to know. That's what they're really asking me. Can they conform? Listen, you don't have to conform. We understand here at Calvary Chapel that God makes everybody different. And there is only one reason. One, listen, it's not that hard. One reason we gather in this room, and that is around the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. We don't, you know, all this, well, what do I wear? And can I wear a hat? And can I wear a suit? People are not concerned with what you're wearing. Trust me, when you walk in the door, nobody's checking you out. You think you're cute. Nobody else does. Let the church say amen. Because it's not about that. Because we understand it's not about that. Because when you walk through these doors, we understand it's about Jesus. Our focus is on Jesus. We, we sing to Jesus. We, we lift our hands to Jesus. We worship Jesus. We read the word and we talk about Jesus. We're not concerned. We gather around the cross. And if it were not for the cross, you would not know me. Don't you understand the cross brings people together? The cross doesn't divide. The cross unifies. Jesus died for unity. He did not die for uniformity. I would not want him to die for uniformity. The military. That's uniformity. You don't want him to die for uniformity. He died for unity, that we may all be able to come together around the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's why y'all know me. And that's why I know you. And if it had not been for the cross, we probably would never, our paths would have probably never met. If it were not for the cross, you probably wouldn't want to know me. And if it weren't for the cross, I know I wouldn't want to know you. <laughs> or vice versa. But the cross, y'all understand what I'm saying? Clap your hands if you get what I'm saying. The cross brings us together. We're individuals. And Jesus prayed 
and die for that unity, not uniformity. Unity puts freedom first. Uniformity puts order first. Unity is present when people want to. Uniformity is present when people are forced to. Unity spreads through relationships. Uniformity spreads through rules. Unity is a warm body of people. Uniformity is a cold machine. And you feel it when you walk through the church doors. Am I right about it? I've heard horror stories of people who walk into churches And people will walk up to them and say, you know what? This is not the church for you. The church for you is down the street. Cold, because you don't fit into their uniform. You cannot conform. Why can't you conform? Why can't you fit in their uniform? Well, that's a myriad of reasons. Maybe it might be the color of your skin, because that's what this was. It was the color of their skin. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.